Hey everyone, welcome to the B2B Power Hour podcast, where we release special interviews with marketing and sales leaders, as well as our live show, all in audio format. If you haven't already, make sure to follow Nick and I out on LinkedIn. Our profile links are in the description, or you can also just search for us or B2B Power Hour. Now on to this week's episode. Today on the B2B Power Hour. How's it going, Morgan? Good morning, Nick. How are you? Great. I've been excited about this topic all week. Yes, me as well. Hello, everyone joining the stream. If you're here, drop a hi in the comments. It's lovely to have everyone here. I know we've got some some people joining us, and I'm really, really excited for this topic. I was thinking in preparation today how many projects I've been a part of where we got all wrapped up in the communication and the marketing and how things looked, how we were going to spread the word, how we were going to get people to pay attention, how many people were going to buy from us. And we totally, totally forgot to really nail our positioning, the fundamental strategy really behind all of those projects. So I'm really excited to dive into this. (laughs) You know what? I want to ask a question right off the start. I want everybody to go and chime in. Can yes. you actually do your positioning right away? Ooh. I'm not sure. And so I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I will answer that throughout this, but I, uh-huh. I just want to leave it out there. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Amber. Good morning, Tija. Very nice to see everyone today. Thanks for yes. joining. I definitely think positioning can't necessarily be accomplished from the get-go, and I know we're going to dive into this more, I think you may have an idea of how the positioning will work. I think there's like a lot that you can do in a back room, let's say, or in a vacuum that you can really identify your positioning fairly well. But I think the specifics or the real like niche within a niche part of the positioning, which we're going to get to, I don't know if you can do that before you start going out and talking to people. We'll see how it goes. I'll answer it later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nick. So, so today we're going to talk me. about, yes, how to nail your positioning. And w- right before we got on the live show, I, I had mentioned to Nick, I was thinking about Tesla, actually, this this week. Their stock apparently is crazy right now, and Elon's his own game, but we, when we were prepping for this topic, I continued to return to this idea of Tesla. And I think the most important part of Tesla's story is they have never run, they've never run a TV ad for a Tesla. <laughs> and when you think about that, when you think about all of the companies in the world that would die for a Super Bowl ad spot because they think it'd save their company, right? Basically. And here's this, this electric car maker, this high-end electric car maker, basically, that's never run an ad and is incredibly successful. And not on top of its success, it has an incredibly loyal fan base. It comes back for me to this fundamental idea of they've built a product for a particular kind of person and they've positioned it in the marketplace against their competitors in an area that nobody can touch them. Because I remember when Tesla first came out with their Roadster. I don't know if you remember this, Nick, but it was their mm-hmm. super fast sports car. That was like their first model, and it blew everyone away. So they got all the car aficionados super on board with, with Tesla as an idea of a car manufacturer. And then they continued to roll out this specific kind of product for a specific kind of person and positioned it, told a story, has a fundamental strategy around how that plays in the market. And that generates word of mouth. That generates sales. That generates revenue. And I don't think they even have a sales team. I'm actually probably confident they don't have a sales team. (laughs) They do. Actually, Calgary, they have a location in the mall. And they have sales people. It's more of an education than it is. I'm trying to talk you into something. But since you brought up Tesla, I'm going to go and shift gears fast. Oh, (laughs) I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it to sales. And what I'm seeing, that's the complete opposite. Okay, yes. Go for it. So what I see is a lot of salespeople building lists of a thousand or more accounts and then sending out messages. 
So what does Tesla do, you said? Very specific for a very specific type of person, especially when they started with the Roadster. Yes. Like we know this is our market. We know this is who can afford it and they'll be able to see the difference. They'll be able to feel the difference because this is the, they're after this. And then I see sales teams with a thousand plus people on their accounts and I'm reading their messaging and they're wondering why it's not landing. We've all had those messages where you can tell that somebody spammed you. Mm -hmm. When you play the game of numbers and you're not positioned well, it will fall in deaf ears. And if anything, it actually falls in their promotional folder in Gmail because you get yourself in trouble. But what happens if you took that list and you broke it down into groups of 50 or less and got really specific on who? 50 accounts or 50 leads? I like accounts because okay. I what I noticed, if you do a win-loss analysis and you look at your best customers, not all your customers, just your best customers, there's trends. It's really easy to get lost when you look at all your customers because there's some customers that maybe they just knew you. Maybe somebody kind of just recommended them for a certain feature. So it wasn't pitched to them properly and they didn't, it wasn't the right category, but it seemed like a good fit where your champions, the people that find your product, they absolutely love it. Share it with the world. They're power users. You're going to see those accounts have similarities whether it's in firmographics or psychographics, probably both. Mm -hmm. And this is how you have to tie in your win loss, the 10 accounts that you want and the 10 accounts that you've lost so that you're getting a really clear picture. But now if you take that approach and you add it into your account lists and you're doing very specific segments, and I always recommend starting with one and building out, get to know them really well, get to know them better than anyone else. So if they called you up on the phone out of the blue, you could just have that conversation like it was your best friend that you haven't talked to in five years. That's the difference. You write an email. There's no researching to go and look at what they would probably want to hear. There's no, you know, sitting on Google or YouTube for an hour trying to go and watch some videos to understand how they talk. It's natural because that list is one that you've earned the right to talk to. And if you're too far out your comfort zone, it's like relearning a new skill. It Nobody actually cares about your product. They care about why they need what that category is and what they're trying to solve. And so we need to stop thinking about our product and how we can make it fit. And we need to look at the market and who needs it the most. And that's, I think what's interesting is the first step that you're pointing out is that positioning is always for someone or someone's, you know, it's a mm -hmm. specific audience. You know, positioning is about this angle of approach. So, so different people are going to have different perceptions. They're going to come at different angles from your, from your audience. They're going to look at your business in different ways. And you mm -hmm. get to decide how you're going to be perceived and who you want to be perceived properly from. Like you get to make that decision. Positioning is a choice. It's not, you know, products can be positioned in all different ways. The, the most famous recent example is, is Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey. And I think SurveyMonkey has now rebranded. Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey did the same exact thing, right? They, they both offered survey software, okay? Mm -hmm. But Qualtrics positioned itself, focused on larger accounts, Fortune 100 companies, and branded their approach as experience management. And SurveyMonkey had positioned itself as sort of this small business focus, the, the many smaller accounts, not the Fortune 100s, and more ease of access and fun and playful. Same product, more or less, very different positioning approaches because they wanted to be uh, perceived differently in the market based on who they wanted to work with. And that's that fundamental stage of positioning. You have to know who you're trying to work with and what they need to hear uh, from your company. Absolutely. Like you look at some of the software like HubSpot. Mm -hmm. They could literally sell to everyone, but they shouldn't. And there should be a certain, they might be literally the same product, but they highlight different features for different people. And so this is where those use cases, those best practices come in. And uh, <laughs> I know I couldn't say it without cringing. I know. Really come in because people, when they're tackling something so new, it's hard, it's uncomfortable. And that's why positioning and market category can make such a big difference. Because what happens if Slack was marketed as email? Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't have a calendar. 
Right. You know, that kind of important with like, you know, calendar integration, Mm -hmm. but like for team communication and that type of platform, it Slack is in its own, it's in a different category. So Mm -hmm. that's why people will have Gmail office and then they'll also have Slack. But this is, we got to be very careful. And this ties into something else. And I'm seeing is people are, there's a different knowledge when you're in-house. Me and you might assume one thing where the market knows something else. And until we tap into that knowledge, this is why it's so hard to do positioning in a black room. So how do you go about doing that? Do you do like customer interviews? Or, I mean, your win-loss is obviously a starting point. And then, and then what's next for a sales rep, an account executive, or whatever? <laughs> I found a good one. Oh, so I, yes. I tested it this week. I just didn't tell you. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm yeah, excited so to learn. <laughs> I started asking people that are champions of the company and of myself. I said, how would you describe me? Mm. How do you sell me? And then I looked at people that didn't buy what, what we offered. And I said, what did you think you were getting? How would you explain what I do? And I listened to the difference. And holy cow, you want to talk about an eye opener? I mean, what's so interesting, though, is like, that's a fundamental lesson in branding. That's a fundamental lesson in copywriting. That's a fundamental lesson in so much of marketing is you literally just take people's words and then turn them around and use them in the market. And what you've pointed out, obviously, branding and copywriting and marketing all emerge. They all flow out of positioning. So to start your efforts with just listening, how would you describe what we do? What did you think you were going to get? I mean, gosh, those are great questions, Nick. Now I want to go do that. (laughs) And it's dangerous, too, when you play this game, because now Mm -hmm. you're playing to people's natural assumptions about your category. When you name your category properly, people know what to expect. So you're building on assumed knowledge. And so when you're talking about what makes you different, that's all you have to talk about. They're like, holy crap. Like, I get it. Like, so, you know, if you're, yeah, we, you know, lots of people sell CRMs, but we're the only CRM with an AI that can go and do automation at scale intelligently that can pass the Turing test. Like you, but you know what I mean? Like now you can get really specific and I don't need to tell you because you know what a CRM does. Mm Mm-hmm. And so now that's your pitch. Yeah. So you're not, you know, pitch slapping somebody with a 17 <laughs> sentence, four paragraph. And then, you know, with their, your meeting link, you're literally saying one thing that once they know your point of view, mm-hmm. it changes everything. They can't unknow it. I always joke. It's like my friends with good beer. They never wanted to spend more than five bucks on a beer. I get it. Neither did I. And then I tiptoed over that line and now I cannot know. But this is what we have to do with our customers and sales is we need to give them knowledge about our category, about what's going on in their lives that once they know, they can't unknow it. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that without good positioning. Mm-hmm. What's interesting too, and I'd like to hear more on this from you, is you're, you're linking up the customer's worldview, which, you know, psychographic information about how they perceive your category, how they perceive your industry with a specific product offer or a differentiation, a competitive advantage, which is a why you compared to any of your competitors. But most importantly, you're linking both of those with a specific problem that the customer is experiencing, that once they hear your product does X, your competitive advantage they can't unknow that and they're going to be blown away. Like that's the ultimate positioning link, basically. And I think what you're pointing out, which I love how succinctly you've put it, is it takes deep customer knowledge to be able to articulate the problem, to be able to articulate their worldview about your industry, and then to be able to interrupt that worldview or interrupt that perception with here's this thing that we do that's going to change your life. And that to me is, yeah, positioning at, at a fundamental level. And so I started playing with something fun this week too after learning okay. this. Because I started <laughs> uh-huh. throwing in people they knew that Ooh. were doing it differently and why they were winning. And so I would name a competitor or somebody that would be very well aligned. And I would say, you know, this is what they are doing. 
and it changed the whole entire conversation from they weren't that interested to they were ready to go like absolute game changer and so it was funny i knew positioning was important but now with dealing with several sales teams and seeing the difference that it made by doing the section like being very very particular who we were breaking our segments into what the comment like almost ruthless on who we are putting in there and who wasn't in there, making really small, tight lists, and then watching how that changed the way they interacted with them and how people responded. It was, it, it literally cut things in half and people were receptive. They were open. They were warm. It wasn't so cold. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't say I sold myself on automation. That would be a bit of a stretch, <laughs> but I get why it worked, but I get how you could do it intelligently now. When you Mm -hmm. take a marketing mindset into sales and saying, I'm creating content for you, Mm -hmm. no one else. So do you think that, I mean, in an ideal world, companies have their positioning statement handled and sales can take it and go and use it in the marketplace. But there are lots of companies that I found where that's not necessarily true. And I know you've seen those companies as well. And what are sort of indications that a company has not nailed their positioning? Like what, what do sales teams see or how do prospects respond when the sales team or sales reps are using positioning that doesn't necessarily resonate with their target audience? I'll give you a really good one for salespeople. Okay. <laughs> they have a long sales cycle and then customers drop out at the last second hmm. because what they their expectation was X, but in the reality, they got Y. Because they were working on a different assumption based on that category, but it wasn't what they expected. And this is why I asked my original question, of, can you do your positioning before? Because so many companies focus on doing a positioning statement from day one. But what I find a lot of the time is it's a hypothesis, a guess, and you have to make a guess. You have to make an educated guess and then go test it, mm-hmm. but you should change it. That's the mm-hmm. problem is it used to be true. That's just banging, Nick. I don't know <laughs> what to say to that. I mean, that's that's such good wisdom. I also, so do you think that sales reps, account executives, sales teams in general should take it upon themselves to go and test positioning and then refine it. I mean, obviously there's sort of like I'm theorizing basically that there are companies where there's a disconnect between leadership and the sales team specifically. And there are people who the sales team obviously wants to sell more. They want to generate revenue. They, they want to pay their own paycheck, but is there, are there ways, how, how should sales teams go about improving their positioning basically? Got to get feedback. And it all starts with what I was talking about with doing the win-loss, looking at your best customers. This is a team effort. But what happens most of the time is you get shut off and siloed. And so it's almost impossible to go from it from a company standpoint. So this is my new new and improved methodology is (laughs) do it so well they can't not notice. So when you segment, instead of, say, taking your list of 500 accounts and you build that list down to le- sub like less than 50, and within a month, they all know who you are, that's a change. What I would also tie in is when you do this well, it's well recognized within the industry that, so say you have a 90-day sales cycle, it takes anywhere from one and a half to three times that sales cycle from first contact to the, for them entering your pipeline you also have to be realistic with how long your positioning takes to work because positioning also works with word of mouth Mm -hmm. because it's, and this is the danger about thinking what you sell is like earth shatteringly new. (laughs) People are already spending money on something. Mm -hmm. And if you don't frame it based on something they know, why would they, now you're going to, you're fighting change. Mm -hmm. But if you're, you're replacing something that they're already spending money on with something a lot better. That's an easy choice to make. And so this is why positioning in sales is so critical 
and I, you'll have to rephrase your question. I hopefully I answered all of it, but no, if you don't. You did. <laughs> if you don't have really tight positioning, mm-hmm. it that's what happens. Is that you'll spend a lot of time trying to sell, get nowhere. They'll drop off, or you won't work at it long enough, and then you'll change and you'll confuse the market. And that's what I see too with people on LinkedIn having the ability to change their marketing and change their branding every week if they wanted to or more is that it also confuses buyers because people pay attention in the, in the background. And mm-hmm. so like my LinkedIn is a great example. I started to get more focused with you on SDRs and supporting you guys creating content. And it was like overnight, it magically exploded, but it also allowed me and you to get very clear on who we were talking to. So I think we can provide more value than we've ever had before, but I didn't know that before. And so could I have written that if I would have said when we first started talking, but we're going to create a podcast or we're going to create a live show. Could I have guessed that? I'd be lying if I said yes. Mm-hmm. I think what you're also pointing out, which is interesting, is there are lots of companies who think branding or, or the visual style, the visual brand, not oh branding in the sense that we're talking about is the unchangeable way that they are perceived in the marketplace. And as a branding guy, I can say that is absolutely false. <laughs> People's perceptions about your company are more, are actually everything except the visual brand. The big lesson is, as a branding guy and what hurts me every time, I have to admit, because I am a designer and I love great colors and I love amazing layouts, is most people don't care about that. <laughs> like that, It's going to be a subconscious perception about, how it looks, whether it meets their expectations. They're never going to be able to physically say, oh, there was something kind of wrong with that brand, unless there's something that's like really horrific. What they are going to say is, no, well, this rep I talked to wasn't super helpful. Or the customer success side, they didn't deliver what they promised. Or I wasn't impressed with their product. Or to our earlier example, I thought I was getting X, but I got Y. And that's what people are going to say. So brand as a a way to encapsulate your fundamental business strategy, the way that you deliver value, the way that you generate revenue in the market, not the website, you know, visual sort of thing. That happens far and beyond your visual style. It happens through your entire organization, of course, but it really emanates from your fundamental positioning. One of the things that I've always, Seth Godin saying is that your strategy should never change. It's your tactics that need to change. And so obviously we could riff on that and say your strategy maybe needs to change if you're early on or it's not working. But but if you're really confident that your strategy is working, and in this sense, a strategy is not a, I see this confusion a lot. I'm guilty of it. I say marketing strategy and marketing plan sort of interchangeable. But strategy are about these levers that you're pushing. You're saying we're more exclusive. We are more uh, helpful. We are AI powered. We're more accessible. We're cheaper. We're better. We're whatever on that competitive access compared to our competitors. We're going to push that lever hard. That's a strategy. Mm -hmm. And then you have all of your tactics about how you are going to demonstrate that strategy, how you are going to live out that strategy. So if you are better um, and cheaper and more accessible, how do you make that happen? Well, now you have a website that has self-service sign-up compared to your competitors who require to go through the old sort of sales discovery qualification enrollment process. You're, You're cheaper, so you have a pricing strategy or a packaging and pricing strategy that allow more people to sign up for your products with a similar amount of value compared to your competitors. That's a tactic. Then there's I mean, again, you can just this laundry list of things that you can basically break out that support this positioning strategy. And I think the more that you test positioning in the marketplace early on, the more, or if you're pivoting or you're trying to figure out how you compare it to your competitors, the easier and easier all of those tactics are going to be. One of the funniest things being a marketing guy and having built however many websites is a website is a tactic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can put whatever you want on a website. You can put content on a website. You can put an ebook. You can put a Chili Piper automation, you know, to sign up to talk to somebody. It doesn't, mm-hmm. the tactic itself, everyone gets obsessed about. Well, how is this going to work? Well, the point is, those tactics are emanating from your strategy, which is how are you positioned in the market? 
And how are you demonstrating and renewing that promise again and again compared to your competitors so that the people that you want to sell to, the people who you want to, to have pay attention to you, that was a complicated sentence, are really going to stand up and say, yes, this is exactly what I want. The problem, and everybody that's listening, you can probably relate to this. So a lot of the time when you want to start posting as an SDR or as a sales professional, you get a branding guide, maybe, but it's usually just a visual yeah. identity. It's colors. These are the colors you need to abide by. If you're putting out images, these are the approved images and that's kind of it. And this is what we mean by poor positioning is nobody gave you a brand guide of who to talk to and why, when you start looking at your building your account list, nobody, they might give you an account list, but nobody gives you any guidance on why you should be talking to them, why them versus anyone else. There's so much value in being able to say no with confidence. If you can't say no to confident with confidence to someone like an, to an account, you don't have positioning and that's, that's a good test. Definitely. So I have a question for you and that, but I want to say to everybody watching, if you have questions, drop them in the chat. We'll be happy to get to them. I know we've already covered a lot of ground and I'm sure we're going to cover some more, but it, as any questions pop up, drop them in and we'll get to them in our discussion. So in terms of sort of nailing the positioning, what, how do, how should people go about and begin to articulate and communicate it? Because I think one of the big obstacles I see, and I struggle with this, is I have this vision. I understand how we're different from our competitors. And maybe I've done market research and win-loss and talked with customers and asked for their language. And that's going to help. But how do I become confident in the language that I'm using to talk about our product? Is it just like try and fail sort of scenario? Or are there ways that um, especially sales teams can refine and improve the way that they communicate this positioning to their target audience. Have you ever talked to somebody, said something, and then they instantly stopped and they leaned in and their whole like demeanor changed? Yes. What you got to watch for is the aha moments. Mm -hmm. The aha moments are what make you stand out. And that's part of your positioning. The problem is that's not usually communicated amongst your team. And I'm talking sales and marketing. This is where mm -hmm. the silos need to be taken down. People should be using their CRM and it should be shared, whether it's weekly or monthly, to go and update your positioning. But you can actually prove this with data as well. And this is something, if your marketing team is not on board to go and talk to you, what they can't argue is results. And so if you can start calculating that you can go and get, you could build pipeline cheaper than they can, that you can grow it faster than they can, and you're also closing deals faster than the leads that they're giving you, guess what? That's hard <laughs> to ignore because now you can build a business case on how your methodology and your positioning is better for the future of the company. And if somebody doesn't want to listen to that, that's a big red flag and you should get the heck out. How long do you expect that to take? Is this like a 60-day process or is it a six-month process? That's a hard one to answer. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, that might be an unfair question. Well, it is, but, but it isn't. It's, it's, a, it's a phased thing. And so you'll notice traction, but it's always delayed. But you got to know what to look for. So if you're looking for vanity metrics, they don't work. Mm -hmm. Like... I. I know a lot of people talk about posting and if they make a really good post that it, it just explodes like your poll did this week. But some mm -hmm. of that is just luck that somebody with a big audience liked it right away or commented and it makes it explode. Especially if they if that happens within the first 20 minutes, don't get me wrong. It takes skill and good copy to ha have that happen more than not. Mm -hmm. But it, you got to really, really narrow in for that to happen more often than not. <laughs> yeah. I one of the, the reason that I asked that is that obviously there are competing priorities sometimes on a sales team between what we're talking about and then their objectives and quotas, et cetera, to hit. And it can feel like, even though this, I don't necessarily think this is true, but it can feel like these things are competing for their time. And so you know, if they could test this rapidly and say, oh, no, I'm just spending the next couple of months really working on this while I'm doing this other stuff and have something that really gets traction. I, 
I also think that with the right set of tools and some of the questions that we've brought up already today, this could be a fairly quick process. It could be 60 days. It could be would, 90 days. I would but, say you could see a meaning, like you could conquer a good chunk in 30 days, mm-hmm. but don't expect the results to like just magically happen. And so part right. of this is that we are in a knowledge-based world right now. Mm-hmm. And it's our ability to gain insight that makes us not get replaced by robots. <laughs> Honestly, salespeople, yeah, that's yeah. the biggest uh-huh. thing is the more emotional intelligence and insight we can gain from what we're doing, the more likely we are to go forward. Mm-hmm. And so in 90 days, you'll notice your pipeline will start growing substantially. And so I would say 30 days, you'll, you'll notice 90 days, they'll notice. Hmm. And hopefully mm-hmm. sometime shortly after that, they'll <laughs> do something about it. <laughs> but I can't yeah. guarantee that. Well, this is actually what's really interesting. I don't know where my soapbox is. I must have left it in the bedroom closet today. But <laughs> one of the dangers, I think, in running the old email a thousand people at once, cold outbound prospecting sort of list is there's an implicit positioning statement in all of that work. So mm-hmm. if you don't have that nailed, people are at least going to hear of you with a bad taste in their mouth more likely than not, or they're just going to ignore it. You know, they're not going to respond. And so to roll out a new positioning is you have to re-educate all of the potential prospects that you've already interacted with or engaged with. And you said, nah, it's not for me. And that's why it's, for me, positioning is that crucial exercise to start everything. Like the entire, all of momentum is built on good positioning. So if you're running, and obviously it takes time to adjust, but the, you know, a sales development motion or uh, building pipeline velocity, if you're already trying to do that and you have this extreme sort of, I don't know, cold outbound prospecting, spam as many people as you can to try and get their attention, they are going to learn something about your brand in that process. And then if you change your positioning, now you have to go and re-educate them. And that's just, that's part of it. But the good news is that there might be actually a fraction of those people who had said, no, it's not for me. Now say, yes, this is definitely for me. I just didn't get what you were selling previously. And that's the hope. That's the goal. If you're being respectful. If you're being and, respectful. Good, and this good is, point. you know, and this is where it gets really dangerous and why I warn a lot of reps about scorching the earth behind them and pushing too hard is because if it's that hard to sell, there's something your positioning's off. That's why. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, if you, a lot of them will come back and be okay. And yes, it's it's an uphill battle, but the the worst thing you can do is word of mouth travels fast. Industries are small. And when you piss somebody off and you do it so they get it's really they have a really emotional connection, it takes a while for that to fizzle out, but while it's fizzling out, they're telling everyone. And anytime you come back up into a conversation, it will reignite that fire. And they will shoot you down. Mm -hmm. So this is the other part of being respectful in sales and having tight positioning so that you're delivering real value and you're keeping doors open instead of having them literally shut in your face. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. (laughs) I just like reveling in the wisdom that you're sharing today. I don't know. I love how (laughs) just succinct and clear it all is. Did you have something to add? Well, it's just been kind of funny because we talked about doing positioning and then it's like every single team I've been working with this week, mm-hmm. it's become so clear that mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that's holding them back is their positioning mm-hmm. because they have a poor position. They can't package their their solution very well. And mm-hmm. so they're they're not expanding their capabilities in a meaningful way. They, the biggest one that I've noticed, and this is like the icing on the cake, how do you prove value? So we talk Mm -hmm. about self-selecting and good Mm -hmm. marketing self-selects. Yep. How do you prove value when you're talking to too many people or too many different types of people? Yep. 
I mean, it reminds me of Seth Godin. The way I would start to actually address that question is Seth Godin's Four Circles of Marketing. I don't know if he coined it, but he has somebody made a good graphic out of it. This is an expansive definition of marketing. Marketing is basically everything about your company in this instance. But but the outer edge of the circle is what we traditionally call marketing, like advertising, promotion, telling the story, getting people interested, building visibility. But the the layer beneath that is basically your your store your brand story the reason that people should care about you it matches their narrative it's some of these things that we've talked about it's positioning it's getting people to pay attention to you not because you have a cool flashy ad but because you're providing value and and it's for a specific kind of person and then the layer beneath that is not yet at the center but the second layer of the circle is that you're built your you actually have a product that is built in a way that the people that you want to serve are going to use it and care about it. Like it matches their worldview, it matches their technological capabilities, it, et cetera. It, it solves a problem. But but the center of the circle is your your, your fundamental business, the, the product or service or whatever that your entire business is built around is is valuable. It's worth something. It solves a problem for people. And so Seth's advice is always, if if your marketing isn't working, go one layer in. You know, mm-hmm. if if your visibility isn't working, go one layer in. Let's look at the value, the story, the positioning, the brand. If that's not working, then let's look at the usability. Let's look at the support. Let's look at the delivery. And if that's not working, then let's look at the fundamental product and the problem that it solves. Is it worth solving? Will people pay to solve that? And most companies, especially those with lots of employees, have already solved that fundamental bullseye problem. They're making money. That's no problem. Their usability is fine, but maybe not great. But a lot of where companies fail is this this positioning, the story around their company, and how people interact with it. Because that piece, what we're talking about today, really influences everything about your marketing initiatives, your marketing planning. It influences your sales development motion. It influences scripts. It it influences the way you talk to customers. Literally everything you can think about trying to generate revenue emanates from this layer. So to answer your question, I would think that proving value is really understanding those first two layers extremely well so that you can craft positioning in a story in a way that makes sense for your audience. Absolutely. And I've been thinking about this with business owners and like companies that bear the principal's name. Why can they sell so much better than anyone else? Hmm. And so I was thinking of this is what's been going through my head and I was trying to find proof. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they sell better than the rest of the sales team? And then Liz, I'll answer your question right after this. I don't know. Honestly, I'd love to know your insights. (laughs) Because they changed their positioning, but they didn't change the positioning on the letterhead or the website or any of the other places. So there, there isn't a shared knowledge amongst the company. So when you listen to the way they explain things and how they connect and the word choice, and you're like, you'll, you'll be, if you've been in one of these meetings, you'll know what I'm talking about. You're sitting there and you're listening to your, the, the principal talk and you're like, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 it it's not necessarily cringeworthy but you're yeah you got that thing about look this doesn't sound right or doesn't <laughs> yeah. sound familiar and mm-hmm. this is the problem is and that's why they sell so well is because they've adapted but they didn't catch everybody else up so mm. it's something to watch for look at your top agents that are just killing it and just listen mm-hmm and don't That's... get me wrong, sales skills are important and the soft skills that back it up. But positioning, if you listen to how they talk, they've evolved. And that's a big part of why they're winning too. Okay. Ready for Elizabeth's yeah. question? Yeah, let's go to Elizabeth's question. Uh, question for you, gents. In prioritizing 50 target accounts, is it too reactive to have the SDR take everyone out of their quote unquote sequence as there are compounding messages? and positioning that may hinder my efforts? Thoughts? That's a good question. <laughs> Nick, how would you go about starting to answer that? <laughs> you didn't want to take that one first, buddy? I'm going to punt it over. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good question. And this is how I'm going to respond to this is, I don't believe you should ever just stop everything cold turkey because you'll kill momentum. 
but I do think that you got to do small tests. So what you might do is just say, prioritize those 50 accounts, take them out of anything else. Who are the top two to five in that target that you could speak out to or reach, reach out to and get some information to confirm your positioning, confirm your messaging. Once you get traction, then move on and do more. And then, then you can automate. So don't stop what you're doing. Just do little tests. And when you feel confident and it's moving quick and it's, you'll notice, you'll feel momentum happen really fast. It might not be as clear as it's happening, but almost instantly after you're like, wow, that was easy. Or wow. Like we had a really good connection or like one of the biggest ones I noticed is that closed really fast from the time they talked to us to the the time it closed. Like I was half the time or a third of the time that it normally takes. Watch for those. Trust your gut and keep track. Double down. And I just want to clarify something because this is something I think that comes more maybe naturally or is just trained more on the marketing side is the reason that those things work, the reason that people connect better, the reason that sales close faster, the reason that your product makes sense is because your positioning is resonating. And the marketing side, especially in the B2C world, the, the, you know the direct link there. Basically, you, you revisit your story, you run an ad campaign with a new story, and you get a bunch of sales as a result. And that's where you can directly link the change in positioning to the change in, or to the change in revenue. And, and because there's more people involved in the B2B side, it, that information can get lost. But from a marketing angle, I mean, look, let's be honest, Nick, there are, there are tons and tons and tons, hundreds of companies in every category on, on the face of the planet, right? Like there's every category you can think of, there are hundreds of companies doing that. And the yep. reason some succeed and some don't comes to this positioning because the positioning is built for somebody in particular. You're serving a particular audience. Even at, I mean, my favorite question to ask when somebody struggles with positioning is, well, do they speak English? And it's, it's an honest question because there's a lot of the world does not speak English. So you're talking right? about your cultural understanding or? No, I'm literally talking about, are you serving your product in English or in another language? Because okay. if you're serving your product in Mandarin, you're probably better off serving the Chinese market, right? And that, that's like just like a, a specific starting point for people to realize that their product isn't for everyone. There are almost 8 billion people on this earth and most of them do not speak English. So if you can start with just saying our product is served in this language, that's a way to start your positioning. And then, then that always opens up the floodgates that says, oh, of course, well, well, we're going to serve this particular markets. We're serving the European market and the and the North American market. And inside that, we're serving particular sorts of stakeholders at all of these different companies and solving this specific problem. So if you're really struggling, just start with the broadest sorts of things about what it means to be a person. What language do you speak? And do you I serve that for sure you were going language? cultural understanding? No, and like the, definitely. And you just went English. <laughs> okay, so I got a question for you for, from okay, Nick. Yeah. Well, this uh -huh. is for everyone, not just ju not just Morgan. Uh -huh. and, uh, <laughs> how do you sell ice to an Eskimo? Uh, I mean, <laughs> oh God. And you're in Canada. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> but like the old, the, how they say like the really slick salesperson going, you know, can, they can even sell sure. ice to an Eskimo. But think about this, not sales skills. Think about this from what we've been talking about today. Where are they? Mm -hmm. Why? Why, what maybe the ice outside doesn't work? Mm -hmm. What do people use ice for? And like you start yeah. going down this path, but this yeah. is what happens when you're doing this all day, every day, you start to pick up these subtle nuances of that um, pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know, this area that you're living in, I know that like most people just use the ice from outside, mm -hmm. but it actually has a really bad bacteria that's in it. And it's really harmful on our guts. You may notice that like you have, you feel like you're more, you have lots of indigestion. You're having trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, what we actually do is we, we notice this problem and we provide safe ice for your, for your whiskey or your, your drinking glasses. Uh huh. But 
It's all about frame of reference. And it goes back to, I can't remember who wrote the work, persuasion. Mm, mm-hmm. It's really about positioning. Mm-hmm. How you frame something, how you position something plays on what people naturally know. Mm-hmm. The moment you try to go and paint a new picture is the moment you play a dangerous game. Mm. I personally well, hate and ice. Actually, I think that's, yeah. I like Tara's comment. And <laughs> I personally hate ice. I, I definitely think though you're also bridging the next step in this language which is the cultural understanding and if you look at multinational corporations especially like coca-cola is a good example but many many others the way that they conduct campaigns in other languages in other countries layers in the context and an understanding of how those people will perceive the brand perceive the company in the cultural context in which they live. So yes, positioning is not just do you actually speak the language. There is a cultural context and a cultural component to it. And it's very important to understand that context because, I mean, mo- most of us, at least I believe on this call, are serving a very particular kind of uh, audience and we probably share more or less 80 to 90% of those same context clues. So it's sometimes really easy to forget that that context exists. It's like a fish in water. Like what's water, right? It's just the world around us. And being able to step back and really pinpoint those differences between you and others, it's, I mean, that's like a, a foundation for, for, great, for great positioning and great storytelling on top of it, building a narrative that you can use. And platform. And platform. I would go and argue too. You know when you start a new social media platform like TikTok? And you're like, Mm -hmm. what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Not only are there cultural norms, but Uh there's the norms of using a certain platform. Things you Mm -hmm. just do's and don'ts. That's another thing we got to be very careful in sales and marketing. That we understand the usage, the acceptable behaviors on that platform. And play them to our advantage so that we're... We're not showing something in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Kit got yeah, a good it's question. almost like uh, emojis and emails. I, I'm sure a lot of people use emojis and emails, but uh, uh, I I don't. But I also think in weak. a lot of the world, like, <laughs> did you just say weak? <laughs> I go on Jiffy and like go and put, it, put those into my emails, and like I go and sometimes I'll even summarize stuff with videos. Uh huh. Uh huh. But I think for a long time, I mean, obviously some of that's changing and we can adapt to it. But for a long time, emojis were for texts and for comments on social media and they were not for email, right? And that, like, that's a good example of different platforms and the different content. And you're right. The first time I logged on to TikTok, I was like, what is this platform? What is going on here? What is the point? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. All right. Kit has asked a question. How does... Or should positioning change depending on which persona you are engaging with? Very interesting. So I think that assumption behind this, Nick, is that there's more than one persona that they're going after. Yes, absolutely there is. Mm -hmm. How many people make a buying decision on average? Right. So my favorite one, even back when I was selling B2C or even just Mm -hmm. like individual, individual, like I was selling insurance. Any time a guy told me he makes a decision by himself, I knew he wasn't buying. Every time, maybe like 2% of the time that would be true. No decision is made in a vacuum. Kim actually brought that up the other day and I'm like, yeah, you know what? That is a red flag. Anytime somebody says they don't include somebody else in the decision, you know, either they're talking about it with everyone or there's somebody that's going to come. It just, I don't know. It oh, Somebody comes and derails at the last minute every time. So yes, there's always going to be different personas and different people in that buying process that need to hear different things. I would talk to a gatekeeper differently than I would talk to an executive. I would talk to the actual buyer differently than I would talk to the champion or the user. And so every single sale has different people involved. When you build out those target accounts and start looking at the buying community, you have to always go through and figure out who are those people. And what I've started to notice as you get up into these bigger companies, you actually have to help them make decisions because they, some of it, it's a first purchase with tech and they're not sure what the buying committee should look like. And so when I'll even ask, like, you know, normally the people will bring in, 
you know, the project manager, the CFO, the director, like I'll name a few people. Is that how you guys will make your decisions on this or, and so you kind of have to prompt, but when you're putting out content to those people, it can change it. Even when you're doing a follow-up email after the first discovery meeting, you could send like a simple Vidyard video with different, different points of view. This is one to go and give to your manager. This is one to go and give to someone else. And it's yeah. critical. And I think what you're pointing to is like positioning is fundamentally about the value that you provide. And the hope is that the value is technically the same or similar among different personas that you're engaging with in the buying process. You're essentially solving a problem that everyone collectively has. The way that they perceive that problem may be different. And so so the way you communicate your positioning, the way that you tell that story or construct that narrative that sits on the, the outer ring of the circles, it's, it's the literal story that you're sharing, the way that you're communicating people about your positioning will definitely change. It almost has to. I mean, different people need to hear different things in order to buy. But the hope is that the fundamental value of whatever product you're selling, of the service that you provide is basically the same. It's it's the fundamental value of your platform. And that hopefully shouldn't change. Just the way you communicate it does. Can I go back to Tara's point here? I'm gonna pull I'm gonna pull it up for us. Yeah. I just want to make sure I understand when you're talking about a bold faced lie. Oh the, the that, buying committee, right? That one person if one person says I'm buying alone in FinServe, that's a bold faced lie because it's and, like 10 plus always. Yes. <laughs> okay. So perfect. Thank you for bringing this up because this is another thing that when you understand positioning for the different personas in the buying committees, you unlock time. Hmm. You are no longer bound by time. And so that could be time zones because a lot of people, when I watch sales cycles, they'll have so many more meetings in the buying committee because they have to meet the different personas because they don't know who they are or they don't know how they act. But when you know and your positioning is tight and you know how to talk to any every one of those individuals, time doesn't matter anymore. Now you're asynchronous. Now you can send one message to everyone and you can do your fact gathering with someone else and then position it and talk to everyone at once. What do you think that does to your sales cycle? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and now we talk about, so that that's, now we're talking about if it was like one-to-one as in one from you to a company, mm-hmm. what happens if you put that on the world on LinkedIn where all of those buyers are and you're changing those messages to go and talk to those different people to go and start different fires? Mm-hmm. I don't have 24 hours in a day anymore, but this is what we have. We have to change our mindset Instead of activities, it's to magnifiers. Mm -hmm. How do I magnify myself? Everybody always defaults to tech. Don't get me wrong. Intelligent automation works. Mm -hmm. No, if you spend a thousand to twenty five hundred dollars per rep, hell yeah, you're gonna do be able to do more if you know how to leverage it. But if your positioning's tight, I would be willing to argue that a rep with a great social media content strategy and really good positioning and packaging could take them on because they could act like a sniper and time is no longer of the issue anyways because that's normally the thing. Well, I can't make more calls in a day. You don't Mm -hmm. need to because you put a, (laughs) you know, LinkedIn, something blows up like your poll the other day Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, me talking to just you, Morgan. Now you just talk to 22,000 plus people and what, 340 something people Something decided like to that. jump in because it was so highly relevant. Mm-hmm. This is the game. Yeah. Change the rules and you can win. If you play by the biggest competitor's rules, guess what happens? It's a spending war. Yeah. And I don't like to go and play that game. No, and actually what's so crucial about that last point is that Again, there are there's lots of room to maneuver in a market in a specific category. There's tons and tons of different buyers. Your strategy for maneuvering in a category in the market is your positioning. So mm-hmm. if you're really struggling with you know your competition, 
that means you're too close to your competition and your positioning <laughs> at fundamental level. Now, or you're just certainly to your competition on social media. Or you're just <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, there's also that. But but at a at a really fundamental level, obviously, back to the Survey Monkey Qualtrics example, you could literally have the same functional product. It's going to look a little different because there's different designers involved, but basically they are the same product. And you see this in project management software too, right? At the end of the day, the difference between most project management software out on the market is like 5%. There's very little difference between the different platforms. But everybody has positioned themselves differently for a different audience. And so if you feel the pressure from your competitors too much, it means you have positioned yourself way too close to their quadrant. And you need to pull yourself into another area of the market for a different audience. And obviously there's other business objectives involved in like you have to make a business case and you have to find that revenue and all the rest of it. But if you find yourself always losing to a competitor and your win-loss analysis is that the 10 accounts that you lost were also this one competitor <laughs> and the reason you won your accounts was just whatever, then that's a good indication that you're probably hugging yourself too close to where your competitor sits in the space and you haven't differentiated yourself enough. And before I forget, I wanted to call out that in... Since we're sort of talking about, or you had mentioned content creation and leveraging these platforms as a way to event, expand, demonstrate your positioning, whatever. In that's a real marketing skill. It's something that you know. Hi, what do the branders call it? Messaging architectures. There we go. I was really searching for that word. You know, when you work with a brand strategist, they'll build you a visual style, and then the good ones will build you a messaging architecture. And the point of the messaging architecture is that it it takes it's like a little quadrant, or it's like four pillars of your brand, or whatever, and it takes that fundamental positioning, that goal, the strategy, and breaks it out into how you talk about it, and. What using the questions that we talked about earlier on about how would you describe us and talking with your customers or lost cases and understanding the market can help you build that yourself. You don't have to be a super talented uh, brand strategist to get some sort of top level concepts that you always want to communicate. That's the point of a messaging architecture. It's just a really fancy word for 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 how are we going to talk about our positioning. And then once you know those key themes, they're basically themes that you mm -hmm. want to hit on. We're more open and communicative than our uh, competitors. We're, we're more of an expert in this particular area than our competitors. Our value is in this area. Once you have those themes, then think of the bullet lists you could generate. What are the 20 different headlines that you could create to talk about that theme? And those headlines could turn into posts on LinkedIn. Those mm -hmm. headlines could turn into videos. Those headlines could turn into part of your emails when you reach out to prospects. I mean, there's all different ways to use that and build that cadence off of your positioning statement. But you have to nail that positioning for everything else to make sense. I know um, it's bad, but all I could think about as you're talking is like, see, this is why there's a line here. And I tease that line very carefully between sales and marketing. But it's like, and you guys give us heck. For making know, stupid right? names and like definitions and <laughs> what'd you call it the other day? Alphabet soup for things? Alphabet soup. I don't know why there are, are there MQOs? I'm not sure. There, I know there's a, so many other uh, terms in the sales cycle. I'm like, what? what is this alphabet soup? And over here, I'm like, would you like your messaging architecture? Sure. Like, oh gosh. <laughs> would you like to open it up for AMA? Yeah. Um, final questions to drop in the comments, additional things that you are on your mind, problems that you're experiencing or things that you want to be have addressed, please drop them in the comments. We have a, we have a couple of minutes. We can go over a little bit, but hmm. I want to be respectful of everyone's time. So, And even just some um, great takeaways. What was your biggest yeah. takeaway from today? I would love to hear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at any time, in case you're like not in the live chat, you can always DM, DM us as well or connect with us out on LinkedIn and ask those questions because I know we'd love to have that conversation as well. Excuse me. Sorry. The sort of as a way to wrap up today as we get to these questions, one thing that I learned so much from the early half of our discussion was that it's so crucial to use real intelligence, market intelligence, real conversations to inform your positioning. It shouldn't be something that you do on a whiteboard for two hours on a Thursday. Like that's not going to solve your problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like an amazing, amazing insight. 
that that you provided and something now that I want to go and use and teach and <laughs> help others with. So thank you. No problem, buddy. I don't know if you've ever heard the best sales tactic in the world. And all of you, it's a good one to remember. Find what works, steal it and call it your own. <laughs> you used to go in the bullpen and you'd listen. Somebody would nail a really good pitch. And this is one thing I do miss about working in an office small part that's kind of a small part yeah yeah, no. yeah. anyways you would hear a pitch and it would be like holy crap that's really good like it you could hear the way they were talking that the person got it so what happened like a broken record it would you'd hear it going all across the bullpen with everybody repeating it until the next best one came up mm-hmm. if you hear something that works call it your own run with it and if you can make it better please Come back to us. Let us know what you did. And I'm more than happy to give you credit for it. Mm-hmm. It's great to see all these insights dropped in chat. Thank you, folks, for for adding them. I'm glad that all of this resonated and, and made sense. So, Nick, do you have any final thoughts as we close up today? Yes. So, Morgan caught me off guard the other day, and he actually created a website for the B2B Power Hour. And it has all the links on there. And we're looking to expand it. So if there's anything you guys can think of that you would like to see, please go take a look. Let us know what you think. If you would like to get the advanced... Oh, I don't know if I sent that out this week. <laughs> if you'd like to get the advanced <laughs> I, agenda... I did. Yep. Oh, we, we sent the agenda. <laughs> oh, no. Myself out here. If you'd like the advanced agenda, you can sign up on that email list. That's all it's for. There's yeah. no other emails going out other than the agenda. And it's also access for you guys to go and send us emails with your questions. That's it. So it's there for you guys. And then, yeah, can't wait to see everyone on LinkedIn. Thank you for your all your questions and your comments. We appreciate you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Power Hour podcast. Make sure to subscribe to catch all of our upcoming episodes, and we'll see you next time.